LaMarcus Aldridge is a Brooklyn net and perhaps the final piece to a championship puzzle. We'll talk about how he fits in and hear a fired up Kerry Kittles on James Harden being the NBA MVP. Speaking of MVPs, we'll talk with an NBA Finals MVP, a former New York Nets forward and Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the legendary Rick Barry. We've got beefs, we've got feuds, and we've got hoops to talk next on Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. The New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Kerry Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you're using Apple, give us a five-star rating, write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday afternoon. You can follow us on Twitter at Robin Lundberg at Kerry underscore Kittles 30. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, during the show as well. And we'll be joined by a former New York Net from the 70s, a basketball Hall of Famer, one of the greatest players in NBA and ABA history, Rick Barry. But first, it's a feud edition of Full Court on Flatbush, Kerry. I mean, you even had a little feud, which we'll get to in a bit. There's Katie and, and Michael Rappaport. But let's start with the Nets versus everybody. Because people were really mad when the Nets World Order signed a new member in LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I, I thought that that was uh, interesting news across the league, right? And in, in, in the basketball fear, right? When you have an already dominant you know, roster with three superstar players and then recently adding Blake Griffin. Oh, and then now you're going to add another former All-Star to the roster? It's like... Um, you know, people were just wondering, like, when is this ever going to end? And, and they have space to sign even more players. So I just think that the Nets right now are definitely uh, creating some fear across the league. No one wants to play them. Yeah, look, uh, 41 all-star appearances combined. It, it may be the most talented roster top to bottom ever assembled. But it's kind of funny, the reaction to Aldridge specifically, because that was always going to be inevitable. It's it's one of the reasons Blake Griffin said, you know, I, I thought I wasn't good anymore. That's what I heard for years. And now all of a sudden, it, it's unfair. Or, or Steve Nash, when, when they were dubbed the villains of the NBA, was like, rah! <laughs> you know, I, I really like to say the heels more so, because it follows that NWO pro wrestling analogy where Durant and Kyrie came in as Hull and Nash, and then Harden came in as Hollywood Hogan, and they, they kept adding members. But the Nets became a super team when they got James Harden. That's when they became a super team. Correct. They were all, always going to add the depth around it. I, I think it just happened more quickly than people expected and with, with perhaps, I guess, bigger names. More quickly. I mean, this is the time to do it. I mean, why would you want to wait when you have these three superstars all in their prime and healthy ready to go this season you know there's opportunities always to sign complimentary players to your roster whether it's via trade or picking up guys in the buyout buyout room space and so i think that the nets were definitely 
um, prepared for that. You know, they definitely had some space to do that. And then when you have those unselfish superstars that it just welcomes other guys in the NBA to want to come play with those guys and team up with them. So I'm not surprised at all that it happened this soon. Well, Kevin Durant's a hell of a recruiter. We've seen that, right? And and both Aldridge and Blake have spoken. Had a very busy offseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we know his hamstring ain't working. His thumbs certainly are. But we'll get to that coming up. You know, uh, when, when you're talking about Aldridge, the other thing that you get is, he, he's at this age in his career, and we're making a, a bigger deal over a name past their, their prime, doing the same with Blake. But these are guys who are now committed to playing a role, right? Like, and, and that's the phase of their career they're at. And when you talk about Aldridge and his specific role, I really think, and, and this is from reports as well, he's going for DeAndre Jordan's spot more than anything else. Uh, maybe he will, will become the, the starter and supplant him. We know what, what um, Aldridge can do. He's another big body to go against the likes of Embiid or, or maybe Giannis. Uh, he's got a little bit of a face-up game, another mid-range guy that, you know, the, the Nets have more mid-range players than almost any team in the league if you count Durant, Kyrie, and, and now Aldridge. But I think really what fans were worried about a little bit is, is Claxton's minutes. I think uh, DeAndre Jordan is the guy who will be phased out, and rightfully so. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I, I think Tom will tell with that, right? I, I think the biggest part now is is the, the medical staff for the Nets. I think that's where all of our eyeballs should be watching is how healthy can they get these sort of aging players and their bodies and, and the wear and tear that is going to take the next you know, month and a half, two months of the regular season and then, then getting them ready for the postseason. And so the minutes they'll find. I think you'll see they'll they'll probably go a little bit bigger than they maybe have expected. I'm not saying they'll play too big consistently, but I think you may see, you know, times where you will see Aldridge out there with Blake Griffin and Aldridge out there with Jeff Green instead of Jeff Green playing the five or, or, or Blake Griffin playing the five. So they're going to find some minutes for those guys. And depending on how, how they're playing, depending on how their bodies feel, it's going to be a chess match. And it's going to be uh, something that uh, Steve Nash will have to heavily rely on with his staff and D'Antoni. Well, you know, D'Antoni has a history of obviously playing small like this team has. And, and I, I would imagine Steve Nash's sort of philosophy aligns a little bit with him. But, you know, from, from your perspective, when you talk about the, the super teams, I've always said there's been super teams throughout NBA history. Every dynastic team was a super team, yes. right? It's, it's just different how they came yes. together. But it, the way that they're happening now and, and players coming aboard, uh, of course, the, the Nets got a lot of, of, of criticism for it. And I would get it if I wasn't a fan. I, I might go like, hey, come on. <laughs> um, but at the, at the same time, we're, we're in this media culture where everybody says it's a championship or nothing. You either win a championship or you're a loser. So you, you kind of understand where guys are coming from, especially later in their career when, when they're getting to the point where if you're Blake Griffin, if you're LaMarcus Aldridge, when are you going to have that chance? Now's that chance. Yeah, you're right about that. I, I think I remember the, the Damian Lillard commercial when he's, you know, you know chatting uh, Charles Barkley about getting the ring. And so it's all about championships now. I, I think, you know, players are, are using their leverage. Players are or, you know, establishing relationships with other players across the league. And they're thinking about, you know, when they get to this point in their careers, you know, early 30s, mid 30s, if they haven't had a chance to win a championship, now is the time before it's too late. And so you'll see guys, you know, take some buyouts here and there. You'll see guys in the free agent take less money for an opportunity to win a championship. And so it's nice to be able to be on this team now, right, as a fan now and watch how this is forming during the season. And this normally takes place in the offseason, but now it's happening – during the season when you bring in Harden, Griffin, now Aldridge, all key players, 
to uh, a championship caliber roster now where the expectations that you mentioned are through the roof. Yeah, and here's the thing. The, the Nets just have to not care about what people say. Like, that's the only thing that matters. And, and in the past, maybe Durant did in, in Golden State, but that's the way you deal with uh, If you're the fan base, you go, Mwahaha, and you laugh about it, right? And, and, and I think as a fan, it's fun to be the heel. It's fun to be the hated team. But the, the players themselves, I already saw the, the spin after the Aldridge signing, the immediate spin was, well, what's going to happen if they don't win the championship? And that's what people are, are rooting for and, and hoping for. And if you're you're the Nets, you just have to not care and take care of business. Yeah, you're not guaranteed anything. I don't care what roster you put together. I mean, we've seen it in the past, right? Remember when the Lakers did that? They got Gary Payton and an aging Carl Malone together, and we were like, oh, they're going to win it all. And they go to the finals and they lose to the Pistons. <laughs> and we saw it with, with LeBron and, and, and Chris Bosh going to Miami the first year. They didn't win it. And they had an immensely talented team. So as a fan, I want to see them do well. Obviously, we think that they should definitely make the finals and have a chance at winning it all. But it's not guaranteed. And, and I'm okay with that. I did pick the Pistons in that series, by the way, back then. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, and, and the, the difference with the Nets, I think, you know, is again, Harden is what made them a super team because they have three guys who are in their prime. It wasn't adding just aging vets around the two, the Shaq and Kobe. Or, or in, in Miami, I think the difference is, you saw that Miami roster get better as they went along. You know, that first year there was they had Joel Anthony and, and Mike Bibby playing, and, and later it was Ray Allen and Shane Battier and Chris Birdman Anderson and, and all those guys who became integral to that team. I, I think that the Nets have done it. And credit, the, by the way, credit to everybody involved. They've done it so quickly because you also have to remember the context of where this team came from, where they had no assets to speak of. No players, no draft picks. And, and Sean Marks got them into a position where they were a desirable destination. And then when KD and Kyrie came, you know, that's almost the second phase of it because those guys then made it easier for other guys to come aboard. And, and you combine being well-run and well-managed with having those superstars and you have this super team. Yeah, you do. I, I don't think Sean Marks gets enough credit. I mean, maybe he will. Executive of the, of the year is probably for him, for sure, that award and that recognition to, uh, you know, assimilate a team like this on the fly and to also to put the trust in those other guys. Because at the end of the day, you know, even when I was playing with Jason Kidd, I mean, he's out there trying to find a, another player or two to come join the Nets. Those superstars have always tried to surround themselves with talent. We've seen it throughout LeBron's career. He's always picking and choosing his guys because he understands that you're going to need those role players, the supporting cast to help you get to where you want to get to. The Nets have done that. Sean Marks, a remarkable job. Now it's in the hands of the players themselves and the coaches have to get it done. All right, let's get to the um, the tabloid portion of the show. That That's the, the headline portion of the show. But when you get to the tabloid portion of the show, there's this thing with, with Kevin Durant and, and Michael Rappaport. And, Kerry, I, I don't even know what to say about it. I can't say what was said. Rappaport puts the, the private messages out there publicly. Yes. Um, I don't think there's a winner. In this situation, personally, uh, mm -hmm. full disclosure, I've done shows with Rappaport before, podcasts. He's always been cool to me. That's kind of his brand, though, right, to be this instigator, this agitator. And I think he found out how many people are a little fed up with that at, at times, given the response to KD. But at the same time, when you're Durant, as much as I like him clapping back online, uh, it's funny to me. There's also that line that you don't want to necessarily cross, even if you thought – these were going to remain private. And when you're dealing with a 32-year-old man and a 51-year-old man, I don't think there, there's a winner in, in this sort of whatever you call it, what's going down in the DMs. 
Yeah, no, nah, it's it's no winners here. I, I, I see this as an ugly thing that's going to play out in the media. Um, I don't want to see Durant involved in these things. I mean, with, with fans every now and then, right, you go back with fans and kind of, you know, stand up for yourself, stand up for your teammates or something that took place. But to have this happen with a quote-unquote friend and you're, and you're having personal text messaging going back and forth where it kind of, you know, crosses the line and you're thinking, oh, I'm just going at this guy and it's really personal. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated. But you don't expect that then to be put out there to the to the broad public it's like uh it's a bad thing i wish we could curse on the show because then we could read these uh, just dms and all the words that were exchanged by kd but i gotta say this rapaport craves attention uh you know like he, he drops thirst traps essentially when he tweets i mean he very much craves attention in everything he does and i don't know if you guys saw the part of the video where he was mad that kd gave him tickets that weren't courtside they were like 10 rows up he's like i haven't sat this high up in 22 years so that's that's rapaport does this a lot and he's loving as soon as he saw his name was viral he loves that that's what he loves even if it's thousands of people saying you suck i hate you he craves this attention and the clicks are what bring him his pocket podcast listens brings in ads brings in money from that's right so you can crave all the attention you want from fans but now from your other celebrity friends you know everyone that's watched this play out they're not going to be texting you like that about personal stuff they're going to keep your business well yeah and look uh, the, the the whole seats courtside seat thing seemed like a plan bit to me this i don't know maybe it will, it will be revealed it was a plan bit but i i don't think so from, from reading it and, and what was actually said in there and and like i said that's his brand I mean, even in his Instagram things, he's spewing the the sort of stuff that that KD said in, in the messages. And, and I'm sure, you know, other people have said some of those things in, in the past too. But all of a sudden with Durant, where you find yourself is in headlines, and I saw some of them today where, you know, the words he said or typed are being labeled a certain way. And it may become an issue with the NBA even, where they have to, to, to come in. And I, I don't think there'd be a suspension, but perhaps a, a fine. And, and it's just not the way, it's not the kind of attention I think you won. Not at all. Not at all. I, I think you stay focused on this season, right? We know what's at stake this year. And with all of the, the, the crazy things that are happening in the season with COVID and guys going in and out of lineups, Kyrie taking off a week, you know, stay focused with the team. You know, you don't want to have any more outside unnecessary distractions when you're trying to win a championship, especially for, for the Nets to be in this position. Stay focused. Put all the extra stuff that's... Kerry, there clearly was pun intended when you said there's steak because he wanted to meet him at Catch Steak at 10 a.m. I was waiting for the TMZ crew outside of Catch Steak, which, if you don't know, is like a Peter Luger's. It's a very bougie uh, steak spot in the city. Yeah, he wanted to, you know, catch some some hands at, at Catch Steak. Uh, look, I, I don't think that was oh, ever he got serious. KD, KD definitely got serious in those messages. <laughs> you read it, you can see he was pissed. He he wanted some of Michael Rappaport, that's for sure. Oh, and by the way, I just gave my whole serious analysis of the thing. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> like, I think they'll watch it out. Yeah. I think you'll see in the next couple of days they'll they'll kiss and make up. Yeah, we'll laugh it off and, and move that's on. That's my but guess. That wasn't the only, you know, what's beef? A, a famous Brooklyn rapper once said that. That wasn't the only feud that we had this week, Kerry. It, it wasn't just the, the Nets versus everybody. It wasn't just KD versus Michael Rappaport. But it was also Kerry Kittles versus, uh, you know, Sirius XM NBA Radio. Because I, I know you were on with Eddie Johnson and, and Justin Termini and, and things got a little testy. Is that what happened, Jake? Yeah, we'll play the audio here. But Kerry Kittles, Justin Termini, Eddie Johnson, audio courtesy of Sirius XM NBA Radio, the NBA Today show. I was asked, you know, we'd love to have Kerry on. And I didn't think 
uh, that this would happen. Listen up. It, they, they were there because he was the one that was controlling personnel, okay? I, I don't know go. about that. I mean, I, oh, I, he wanted Chris that, Paul. That he, okay, he wanted Chris Paul. He want, I mean, he, you, he, you're he, saying now that James Harden was bringing players in and out of the team? Oh, and Kerry, he was making those Kerry, decisions? I mean, Kerry, he wanted Chris Paul. He got Chris Paul. He was done with Chris Paul. He wanted Westbrook. Yeah, yeah. And, and Daryl Morey. Those are two players. It's a, it's a big, it's a huge roster. And, and, and you can't tell me that the Houston was making every attempt to win an NBA championship. You can't tell me Houston was making decisions that, that Brooklyn has made, has recently made. That, that shows oh, the yeah. commitment to making your team better. They, they, they went to the conference that. finals like oh, yeah. you know, a couple of times. They went to the second oh, yeah. round a couple they, of and times. And they should have beat Golden State one year. Yeah. Of, of course I thought they were building for a championship, without a doubt with James Harden. And James I, Harden I, won MVP. He won MVP I, listen, in Houston. If, if, if James Harden, you know, didn't play in games, if James Harden was shaving points <laughs> with the Houston Rockets, maybe there's an argument there. But being disgruntled, he was still playing. He was still trying to do his best. Always plays hard. Never, I'm not doubting that. He kid. wasn't in I'm great not, shape. He didn't come in in great shape. I'll be honest with you. Yes, he wasn't in great shape. Okay. Right. So you want me to penalize him on that? No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not see, you, we, you and I agreeing on all that. James Harden doesn't take games off. No, no. I know, but even when he was like in Houston, said, right, he didn't come in the it, season in great it, shape. And so he didn't exactly. start the season. But he ruined an entire uh, Plays you know, every game, Terry. By, plays uh, every by forcing game. his way out. Yeah, so, any, plays every way. game. But yeah. my question is, though, like when you want to, like, find an MVP – Okay, when you want to find an MVP, you got to look at the full package for the entire season. I know, but forcing a trade not to three me quarters. is not – I'm not going to penalize him for forcing a trade. That's just me personally. We can respect that. Yeah, we can yeah. respect I mean, that. Yeah, I mean, again, I have no problem. The way he's played – today's game, they're taking their careers in their own hands. They're not waiting to see what teams are doing with them. Yeah. They're, they're using their leverage. And and we're seeing that they have power right. in that level. Exactly. So, so I, I can't you know, listen. It, it, it's exactly. the players leave. My hat's off to you. You want to leave? Yeah. yeah. Go go right ahead. Knock yeah. yourself so, out. So, Kerry, did you get, uh, send them any private messages, uh, calling them uh, untoward things, or or trying to set no, up? No, no, no. I thought, I thought it was a healthy. I thought it was a healthy <laughs> discussion. I thought it was a little healthy debate. And, and sometimes you agree, and sometimes you disagree. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Look, and, and the Harden MVP thing, his tenure in Houston, it, it's silly. It's petty to say it disqualifies him. If it was down to a tie, then I could say, all right, he played eight games there. And let's say LeBron James played every game for the Lakers or whatnot. But LeBron got hurt, so he's missing games. Joel Embiid got hurt, so he's missing games. So I I think with Harden's MVP case in Houston, it's now become about what happened to the Rockets since then and what happened to the Nets, because we know Durant hasn't played. The Nets never lose a game, and the Rockets never win one. So that says something about Harden's value. Yeah, I I think when you have these MVP debates, there's going to be, you know, everyone's going to have their preferences, right? And they're going to draw on certain stats. They're going to draw on winning percentages and all this stuff. To me, it's about who's dominating the game the most. And I look at the full package of what he's doing on the court. I don't look at what he's doing in the locker room necessarily. I don't care what he does if he's hanging out in strip clubs. The man is getting it done on the court. And to throw in something as far as holding that against him, as far as not putting him in the MVP conversation because he left Houston as a disgruntled employee, stop. And it's also what's overlooked is the fact that he averaged 25 and 10 in those eight games. Houston, it's not like he put up like five points a game. He still put up similar numbers to what he's put down now. So if you look at it statistically wise, their argument doesn't make a ton of sense. Oh, and like the the Rockets were title contenders in in that span, in large part due to Harden, too. They were the only franchise that uh, didn't miss the playoffs during his time there. Every other team missed the playoffs. 
at some well, point. Well, I didn't like about the conversation was they were trying to blame him for Houston's lack of success, trying to say because he was bringing in certain guys. I'm like, wait, timeout. The guy's been stellar on the court. He's done everything you asked him to do. One or two players come here or there doesn't mean that he's building the team and he's making every single decision and now it's his fault because they're not winning and he wants to leave. Stop it. Justin and Eddie going for ratings. Eddie, who used to cover, I'm sure, for a few games back at uh, the back end of his career, beginning of your career. I'm curious, Robin, what else Riles carry up like that? Like, if we say, like, Provolone's better than mozzarella, like, what kind of things <laughs> Kerry Kittle's riled up like that? What's your, yeah, what's your biggest pet peeve, Kerry? I guess that's what you would ask. I don't know if it's about I, I just don't like when former players criticize current players. It's just a thing that I just don't like. I think that you can find so many great things that these current players are doing for the game of basketball. These these guys very seldom get in trouble off the court. They carry themselves the right way. They're transitioning to a whole new style of play and embraced it than when we played in. Let's just give him props. Let's stop trying to character assassinate. All right. make any sense to me. Well, then I'm going to definitely get Rick Barry to try and criticize a current player coming up when he joins the show. Meanwhile, uh, James Harden is taking on his former team tonight as the Rockets have the Houston Rockets. And they've got the Hornets on Thursday at the Bulls on Sunday and the New York Knicks on Monday. A member of the New York Nets joins us next. We're joined now by an NBA Hall of Famer, a basketball Hall of Famer, that is, played in the ABA and the NBA, NBA champion, multiple-time All-Star, everything. Rick Barry, who once played for the, the New York Nets, obviously known, Rick, for, for your time with the Warriors as well. And you were around the Warriors team when, when Kevin Durant was there. I'm curious, you know, having been around that team and, and knowing what you know about KD, what you think of the current Brooklyn Nets and what KD has helped put together here in BK? Well, it'd be nice if he'd be healthy. <laughs> you know, it's nice to have a player of that caliber, but you want him healthy. He's an amazing player, and he's one of those people I tag as an anomaly, and that's a player who plays his position, and he's different than anybody else has ever been at that position. There, there's never been a player his size that does the things that he does. I mean, it's sick. I have a picture. I can pull it up on my phone. I have a picture after the parade when he was there, standing with him with his uh, MVP trophy. He dwarfs me. I mean, he's seven feet tall, for God's sake. The guy is, I mean, it's insane. And he can shoot the three. He can shoot the mid-range shot. He's a terrific free throw shooter. He can go to the basket. And what happened when he went to the Warriors, and this is something I had talked about as I was doing a radio show at the time. I said, I will bet you anything you want to bet. Kevin Durant will become a better basketball player coming to play for the Warriors and have more easy shots than he ever has had in his career up to that point. Because he got to play in the system where they played the game the way it should be played. Three, four, five, six passes, not just one-on-one. -on -one. The fact, if anything, when they got in trouble, knowing how good he is, they relied a little bit too much at just giving him the ball and letting him do his own thing. And if he's having a bad night shooting badly, that's not going to be as effective as that team playing the way they play with the pass moves, moves and cuts. And KD was getting assists and doing a lot of other good things, stuff he didn't get a chance to do very much of when he was playing at Oklahoma City because he didn't have the ball. So it was fun to watch you know, his, his development. There's no doubt about it. The big question is, is that is Kyrie going to be willing to defer to him when he's back and healthy all the time the way Steph Curry did with the Warriors? You know, uh, to to that point, Steph Curry was always the the sort of face of the Warriors, right? And and, and the beloved figure there. And, and some people think KD didn't love that aspect of it. Uh, how do you think he's going to handle the you know scrutiny of the championship expectations, as well as the, you know the the team that he he seems to have wanted around him with Kyrie and James Harden? 
Well, there's a lot of things going on. I don't know all the details. You know, you hear a lot of stuff, you know, him being upset about not feeling that he was really wanted and then his deals with Draymond and everything else. All I can tell you is, just, I mean, he's very fortunate. He left the team with great players and he's now on another team with a lot of great players. So he's very lucky to have made that move because I would have given up part of my salary to stay and play on a team like the Warriors. I mean, this is the dominant team of their time. They play the game great. You have a two-time MVP who is willing to let you be the guy. If he hadn't gotten hurt, more than likely, you know, either he or Clay probably would have been the MVP of that last series before both of those guys got hurt in the championship series. And they would have won. There's no question in my mind about that. But also, to play in a place where I know he doesn't like to be scrutinized, but my God, this is the proverbial going from the frying pan to the fire. He was in San Francisco. San Francisco, compared to New York, when it comes to scrutiny of the press, is like it's day and night. It's it's such a dramatic freaking difference. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with it if things don't go the way that the media thinks it should go. And he starts getting scrutinized because he didn't like that from what I heard. And I think he's put himself into a firestorm there. And hopefully they'll play well enough to do it. And I love watching him play. I think he's a great, great basketball player. I remember sitting with Jerry West, watching him play when he was in Texas. And we both looked at each other and we said, oh, my God, is this kid going to be a great pro player or what? I mean, you just could see it in him back in those days. You can't say that about very many people. There's not many guys I've seen. LeBron was another one I saw in high school. Yeah, back in high school, I said, oh, my God, he's going to be a great pro player. Because he just had the number one thing is had a feel for the game, but he was just so incredibly gifted and talented. And, of course, in LeBron's case, he was a man child. And, you know, and, and KD, obviously, KV kind of reminds me a little bit like George Gervin. Nobody thought he could do anything skinny old ice man. And look what he was able to do. So, uh, yeah, this is a guy that I knew was going to be a heck of a basketball player. Just I'm really surprised that that he left. And uh, But he's fortunate again. I mean, look at the people he's gotten surrounded with. He's got some really, really talented people to play with. And the last I just saw, I think I saw yesterday, the odds, the odds makers, I, I don't pay any attention to a lot of that stuff, but I look at it because everybody talks about it, that they're picked to be the favorite to win the championship, if I'm not mistaken, right now, over even over the Lakers or anybody else. Now you speak about that supporting cast right now, and, and you talked about Kyrie uh, deferring to Durant and and trying to, you know, fit in with him. And, you know, they were able to do that in Golden State with those guys and, and, and Steph Curry. What do you think about the Nets roster, you know, with the addition of Blake Griffin and now LaMarcus Aldridge pairing up with these three megastars, these offensive <laughs> quality players? I mean, do you think that the Nets have what it takes to win it all this year? Well, they certainly have the talent to do it. It's a matter of how well it blends together and who's willing to accept the roles that's necessary to accept. I mean, everybody can't be the star, obviously. Like I say, you know, you can't have all chiefs in the tribe. You got to have some, you know, people willing to do the dirty work, you know. So we'll see how that's going to play out. So that's what it's all going to come down to. And then the other big thing with them is, is they have to get to be a better defensive team. You can't just expect to go out there and outscore people. I mean, they say defense wins championships. Well, it does, but only if you have a good offense. You know, you're not going to win a championship if you have a great defensive team and just suck on offense. They've got, obviously, the offense going for them. It'd just be for them. You don't have to be the best team, obviously. But I've never seen in all the time I've watched the game of basketball, never have I seen a team win a championship that was at least not in the top 10 in defense. I mean, you have to be reasonably decent defensively. I saw when the, the uh, before the James Harden trade went down, you you weren't a fan of the Nets making that that acquisition. Obviously, so far, it's turned out really well for them. Are, are you surprised by uh, Harden at all? Or, you know, have you changed your, your tune a little bit on, on that trade 
um, given that he's you know in the MVP debate? Well, you have to, you have to say exactly everything I said. I didn't say I wasn't a fan of it. I said I wasn't. A, I'm not a fan of it. If he's going to be allowed to play the way that he played and he plays the way he played at Houston, I wasn't a fan of it. But to his credit, he has not done that. He's a totally different basketball player and showing the, the the skills and the abilities that he has. And if he wants to win, he has to continue to play that way. And because he's so, I mean, he's such a gifted offensive player. I mean, my God, the way he can, you know, shoot the ball, get to the basket. His only, if you had an Achilles heel, he has a tendency to be very sporadic with his three-point shooting at times. I mean, we've seen over the past, especially come playoff time where, you know, he can't put it in the ocean. And so what he has to understand, if he's if he starts out and that's not working, do the penetration kick. Start feeding your people. Get 15 assists. Get 18 assists. Don't worry about scoring points. Be like Steve Nash. Steve Nash would rather get 15 to 18 to 20 assists. And if you needed 30 because the team was struggling, he could go out and get you 30. But he wasn't worried about getting the 25, 30 points. Just the same thing with Harden. Harden has, don't worry about the scoring. Worry about setting up your teammates, doing other things. All the other stuff will come with it. And he continues to do that and continues to take pride in his ability to make his teammates better and create easy opportunities for them. They're going to be in great shape. I'm, I'm proud of what he's done. I really am. I, I think he's, he's done a great job of adapting his game. And he's a totally different player than he was when he played at Houston. Rick, you take, you take us back in the day from what you've experienced as a, as a former player back in the ABA days and, you know, and, and then watching the game, right, you know, you know, transition over into the 80s where it was really, really physical and, and, and the physicality was just out of the roof. And then now going to this modern game of basketball where we're just seeing is so perimeter oriented, so perimeter dominant with the three-point shot, right? And what are your thoughts on that? Are you a fan of, of today's game? Do you fully embrace it? Or do you wish that it was a little bit slower, more half-court, more post-play in there involved? Or are you just all in chips and it's just like, I'm a total fan, I love it, 125, 30 points, and you know, I'm good well, with how that. Old, how, old, how old are you? 46. How old are you, okay, you're a baby, okay? So when you start saying that it was so physical in the 90s, you have no idea what you're talking about, Curry, seriously. I mean, come on. I say, I say 80s. I didn't say okay, 90s. Okay, I say okay, 80s. Okay, even the 80s. The 80s was a joke compared to the way it was when I played and they came in. If I played with the rules that they have I now, don't know. When I, I saw Curry Rambis flying in the air, I don't know if that's just – you could have been that much more physical in the, in the 70s. The only thing that was physical there was when you had the freaking – when you had the uh, the bad boys in Detroit. Those guys were idiots, but they did. They should have been suspended multiple times. That was ridiculous because that – you could hurt somebody. But you don't understand physical, man. I used to run through the middle. You'd get pounded. I mean, the grabbing the whole – it was so much more physical when I played in the 60s and the early – in the 70s. The 80s would have been a cakewalk. I would have loved to have played in the 80s. And then now, hell, I'd probably shoot 15 to 20 free throws a game to breathe too hard on guys sometimes. But that's the crazy part. They go, they call all these close fouls. Then you get late in the game and they let people, you know, commit, you know, commit basically. You could probably get arrested for what they do on the court if you're out in the street and they don't blow the freaking whistle. I, it's such a crazy thing. That it's like you always hear this. Well, we want the players to determine the outcome of the game. Well, hell, the players are determining the outcome of the game. If they violate a rule and you as an official blow your whistle, you're not determining the outcome of the game. The players are determining the outcome of the game by violating the rules. It's your job to blow the freaking whistle. How many times you see two guys crash into one another, both of them go to the court floor, and a whistle doesn't blow? I'm sorry. It's either a block or a charge. It cannot be a no call. And you see that happening all the time. 
And the thing that probably bothers me most about the game, and no, I'm not all for the game. I don't like the way the game is played today a lot of times. I mean, certainly sometimes teams will start playing, and a lot of them are starting to pass it around more, but it's more for passing to get a three-point shot as opposed to inside out and trying to get the interior easy scores. It's more for the perimeter game. But what I dislike most is the officials all of a sudden have decided they're going to not blow the whistle on violations. The carrying that goes on. God almighty, if I could do that with the ball when I dribbled, a guy would never have a chance of freaking guarding me, for God's sake. They take it from over here. They carry it over to here. There's no carrying. Then the travel. Oh, my God, the travels. And then I just watched the game last night, the highlights of one of the games showing somebody the player. He caught the ball. Both feet landed on the court. He stepped back with his left foot, brought his right foot there, and shot the ball. That's a travel. You have two feet on the court, and you pick one up and move it. Your right foot is your pivot foot. You cannot put your right foot up in the air and put it down without a dribble. I'm sorry. And they're saying, my wife said, oh, that's the gather. Gather my ass. I mean, <laughs> it's absolutely pathetic. It's pathetic. So, so, the, so the, Euro move, the, the Euro move is illegal in your eyes? The no, Euro not, move. I'm not necessarily. No, the Euro If you step, if you make the step here with the right foot, you can then step to the, over to the left side, okay? Because you, you've stepped on off the dribble. Now, now that's your pivot foot, so you're entitled to make that extra step. It's the step that when the guy catches the ball, he's got two feet planted. I'll go to my grave on this. The San Antonio Spurs got totally screwed on the three-point shot that was made by Ray Allen in the corner. You watch the replays. He caught the ball. He had both feet on the floor. He stepped back behind the three-point line and stepped back with the other foot and took the shot. That is a travel. You just can't do that. And so that and then the moving screens is another one that's a joke. And I get sick and tired of listening to all the announcers talking about you know, wow, what a great screen he set. Well, first of all, you don't set anything, okay? If you really understand the game of basketball, that's why I go nuts when Jeff Van Gundy always said, hey, you didn't set a good screen. This is the coach talking. You don't set a damn thing. Your job is to put yourself in a stationary position. You become an object. It is my job as the offensive player to run my man into you, therefore making you a screener. You don't set anything. You set yourself in a permanent position, yes, but you don't set a screen. I make you a screener. And they never talk about the offensive player not doing a good job of setting their person, their, their defender up, running them into their own teammate, creating a screen, and then the options that come off of that. It's just appalling to me to have to listen to that stuff. And what happens? Because of the fact that the player thinks I have to set a screen, he invariably moves because his teammate did a lousy job of running his man into him. And so he moves a little bit. If they had called that play the moving screens like they should have, one time I charted a game a few years back. It was happened to be Chicago and Atlanta when they were actually in the playoffs. <laughs> Chicago and Atlanta. 59 moving screens were not called. 59. You are not allowed to move when you're there. Watch the next game and watch how many times the guy there moves because this man does a horse manure job of setting his guy up and the guy will move. Kevin Garnett would have fouled that of every game he played probably. Rick, Rick, we watch the Nets, and all they do is switch, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that here's the deal. The, the screen, it's a the two-man game is a great game if you know how to run it properly. I would be appalled if I was playing. For my man to come from the top of the key to set supposedly set a screen for me to go away from the basket is the most worthless thing I've ever seen in my life. You should be running a two-man game 
with the opportunity to put make my man a screener by going to the basket, get to the gut of the defense, break them down, make them make decisions. When the hell is the last time you ever seen anybody even say slip a screen like he's supposed to set it and the guy's cheating and he should be slipping. He should go to the basket, get him a dunk. I guarantee you the big guy's not going to cheat on it anymore. That's why they probably hate me and they're not going to get me back because I tell the truth when I broadcast and I really tell people what should be happening. I'm not a freaking Well, shit. you know, Carrie's pet peeve is when former players uh, criticize current players. It doesn't sound like that's your thing to me. Like you, you sound like you appreciate the, the talent in the league today. You were just talking about KD and Harden. Well, I criticize, I, I criticize a player. No, but I criticize a player if he's doing something wrong. I think the way Harden was allowed to play at Houston was, it was abominable. I mean, for the guy to have the ball for 20 to 22 seconds of the clock, he's got the ball and everybody's standing around watching. First of all, his teammate, if I was his teammate and I played with him and that's the way he played, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be setting my man up and I'd be moving and back cutting my guy getting open. I don't think hard, I don't think James is selfish. I think if he gets open to do stuff, he'd get the ball to you. But everybody's standing around. Why, why should I throw the ball if you're just standing there with your man guarding you? Back cut, go to the basket, force him to have to throw the ball to you. Because the guy that's gonna look bad, if you're running and moving and getting open and he's got the ball and he's not throwing it to you, everybody's gonna see that. Okay. And that's what you need to do play when you play that way. But yes, I will be critical, but not to be critical. I'm critical to be informative. There's a big difference. I got I lost my job because I, they said I was too critical. No, I was too honest. I told the truth about what was happening. I told what was good, what was bad, why it was bad, why it should have been good to basically try to go ahead and have the fans understand how the damn game should be played properly. I, I hardly listen to a lot of the people because I can't listen because they're watching and seeing a different game than I'm seeing. I'm seeing stuff that's not being talked about and it drives me absolutely insane. I had a situation the other day. It was a two-man game with MB doing it. There was a play. I had to sound off because I don't listen. And I had friends over at the house. I said, hey, I'm going to tell you something. Watch this play. So I ran it for him in slow motion with no sound. I said, I'm going to explain to you what exactly has just happened on this play. And I talked to him about how the screen came up, how the offensive player didn't set the man up properly. He made the roll, blah, blah, blah. The guy comes off and everything. And the guy should have passed it to him, who was wide open, didn't, went up and did it. The defender trailed, came over the block and blocked it. I said, I will bet anybody here, I'll bet you anything. I didn't hear this, right? You didn't hear the sound. And let's play it back and listen to the sound. Turn the sound. And I said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. The thing that's going to be talked about is the great hustle by the defender to come and make the block. They're not going to talk about the fact that the offensive player screwed up totally and didn't run their person into the screen. They're not going to talk about the fact that that offensive player didn't pass the ball to Embiid, who probably could have had a dunk on the two-man game. And this is what they're going to talk. Sure enough, play it, boom. That's exactly what they said. Oh, what a great hustle and block by that player. You see what I'm saying? They're not helping the people to understand the game. That's why I like Tim. I love, I love, I love Tim Legler. Tim Legler, when he breaks things down and everything, does such a great job in the studio. He's awesome. I mean, I just, I love listening to him because he knows what the hell he's talking about. We got to get Rick in the broadcast booth here soon and uh, get this analysis. Uh, I want to go back to the seventies, Rick, because you were on a Nets team, New York Nets team that made the ABA finals and you were coached by Lou Carnesecca, who's a living legend. Can you take the listeners back to the Nets of the 70s, the fan, the atmosphere in the 70s, that team going up against the Virginia Squires and Dr. J and being coached by Luke Carnesecca? Being in New York is always, you know, the place that was, that's the kind of the hub of, of what basketball is about and publicity there. And being back there was awesome. Uh, and getting to play for Louie was great. He's still one of my favorite coaches that I ever played for. And I have so much respect for Lou. And here's here's the main reason why. I mean, other than being a good person, okay? And I talk to Lou all the time. I mean, he's still still hanging in there. He actually came to Billy Melchione. He came to me. He asked our opinion about various things about the game and what we should or shouldn't be doing. Now, he didn't listen to everything I said, but 
he wanted to hear our input because he's coming from college. He wasn't somebody with an ego so freaking big that he thought he had all the answers to everything, that he knew the pro game, which he didn't know inside out. He's seen it. And I admire that. I really, truly admire that. And Louis did a great job. And we should have won the championship that year. We really should have won the championship that year because Louis did the right things. And he had said something on the play when we were playing the Pacers in the, in the big game. It was I think it was game five, which we should have been able to win to come home with a lead three to two. He talked about whatever we do. Here's the things I had gotten fouled. He said, OK, Rick's going to make these free throws. What we do, we come down, no three point shots up on everybody. Jump the screens. Do I said all the right things. Did we do it as players? No, we didn't. OK, <laughs> we wind up coming down to a last play that unfortunately it was a good play. We called it came up. I was wide open. The pass was out wide. I couldn't grab the pass. It went out of bounds. We lose a close game and go back home trailing three to two instead of being up three to two against the Pacers. Unfortunately, I had I did some stupid thing which I didn't do later. I was doing going up and doing a dunk before I would that the clock was running out shooting and everything. I know why the hell I did that. I wasn't a dunker anyway. So I go up and I pull something up in my upper neck and all. So I can't start the game. I'm in the locker room trying to get work done and do stuff. And we wind up falling behind and, and wind up losing a close game. So not that I remember these things, but kind of remember the bad things more something than you do the good things. But Louis was great. Uh, absolutely fabulous. So much fun to play for. Yeah, he's one of my favorite people of all time. And, and back in those days, it was more of a front court and a guard oriented offense. You didn't have a lot of great players until Artis Gilmore. You had Dan Essel, but he wasn't really a true center to say that. He was more of a power forward kind of guy, but played some center. But the first really great big guy to come in, the big man, was Artis Gilmore, obviously. And then they, they got a few other big ones. But it was more up and down, you know, scoring, three-point shot. It was fun in that regard, but it was, trust me, when I was there, it was Bush League. I, when they went to the bubble, I told people, I said, hell, I could have played in that bubble. It would have been easy. Hell, I played in the game one time. There was probably more people in the bubble than there were when I had a game in Houston, Texas one time. There were more people sitting at the table and on the scorer's table than there were in the stands. <laughs> bubble, what the hell? It was great. You've seen it all, right? And you did it all as a professional basketball player in the Hall of Fame, uh, 12-time All-Star between the NBA and the ABA, finals MVP, NBA champ. But you're also a hardcore pickleball player and i know uh, you've got a product out of rb-ml.com around pickleball as well right yeah it's uh yeah, cbd products that are great that people can use it again rb-ml.com check it out and you get a nice discount you can put the 24 in the code there and get a discount but they're great products i mean you know high quality that's the biggest problem with the cbd world i can't believe that the pro sports aren't letting the athletes use cbd it can't possibly hurt you it's not it's a natural drug it's the big three that i'm, I'm hearing that we're going to have the big three again which i hope is, is that you know cube goes through through with that ice cube and uh they they allow guys to use it in fact one of the sponsors was a cbd company so they, they got to get with it i mean anything to help guys take something to stop taking opioids and some other stuff that you actually can get hooked on i mean why in the world would you not try something that that can happen. So it's it's a very interesting product. But I love pickleball. I love fly fishing is what I love to do a lot. But in life, you have to have passions and have goals. So I did some long driving in golf and won some world long driving titles in my age category until they eliminated the old farts. And uh, so I can't do that anymore. But then I found pickleball, but I love the fishing as well. So my new goal is I want to become uh, a U.S. Open champion in, in, uh, in pickleball. And I was lucky to be able to get in with a lady, Linda from, from Bruder from uh, from Arizona at the last place. So we're going to get to play in my age group in our, our uh, skill level ca category. And so I'm hoping that, that we can find a way to win, a, uh, win the U.S. Open championship in pickleball. I just, I love the challenge. You know, Curry, what it's like. I mean, it's hard when you're a competitor and you've played and it, it, that's, I miss the comp competition more than anything else. It's not, 
and I find other things to compete. That's why I love the long drive. There's competition. You know, you get the butterflies in the stomach. I'm out there competing. The same thing with the pickleball. The fly fishing isn't that way, although I, I challenge myself to try to hook 100 fish a day when I go fly fishing. So that's... That's always interesting. You imagine that a hundred fish a day I hook on a regular basis. It's crazy. I, I, I can't imagine that. Actually, I don't think the I've ever. just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, not, and, and plus, plus, I'm walking. I've had, I've had, I've had a grizzly bear walk within ten feet of me out in the out in the wilderness. A wild grizzly. Did you bear. toss it's one crazy. of the hundred fish at him? Is that why you had a hundred fish? No, I just, I just stayed where I was and didn't move and hoped that he was going to continue to move on. And you know, they're pretty full eating the fish, but they really don't bother you. They've never had an incident in Alaska with two or more fishermen and a bear. But to see those animals up close like that, I mean. I would never be able to shoot a bear now because they're majestic. They're amazing. I mean, unless they were attacking me or something, but they're not going to do that unless you're stupid enough to walk between a mother and its cub or something or, you know, do something dumb. But uh, that's the beauty of, of the fishing in the wilderness in Alaska is you get to see all these amazing animals and you're just out there, with, you know, over 300 miles in civilization. And it's awesome. But I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the playoffs this year. And who steps up and who's going to be healthy and uh, seeing what happens when, when KD gets back, if they get themselves together and having to fit all these people in. You know, a lot of times things don't work. You know, one guy can screw things up. I've, I've seen that happen numerous times and mess up the chemistry of your team. And it's just a matter of picking your egos. I just told teams, you want to be a champion? Everybody has to take your ego and stick it in the closet because it's no longer about you anymore. It's about the team. You have to be willing to do whatever it is that's being asked of you to do to help your team win. And if you just do that and focus on that, you'll be surprised. Everything else will work out for itself. If you're a scorer doing something, you'll score points. I didn't. I never went out there thinking about trying to score points. I just went out and played the way I played, which was aggressive, looking to attack, looking to put the ball in the basket, provided I didn't have a teammate in a better position. In fact, I told people today, if I if I could come back and play today, I'd play point guard because I was quicker than most of my guards. I was very quick and, and fast. They say, oh, I can handle the ball. I was like the first point forward. I could cross over and, you know, right hand, left hand crosser. That's the extent of my dream dribbling skills. Now they do such amazing things, too much, I think, at times, but you still would want to go and perfect those skills and have them available to use in the proper moment. But I would love to have the game in my hands. I mean, as you're the point guard, the game is in your hand. You're the quarterback. You're the one that controls that game. And I, I was able to do it somewhat so when we won the championship from the forward position. But man, it's a hell of a lot easier when you're the when you're the point guard and you have the ball in your hands. And I actually got more satisfaction out of making passes to my teammates for easy baskets than I did making a basket myself. In fact, some of my fondest memories. I mean, the thing I'm proudest of that I brag about. I think I still have the record for small forwards for assist in a game. I had 19 on the road in Chicago. And I always joke, I said, I probably had over 20 because I know they screwed me out of a couple because it was in Chicago. Well, Rick, we appreciate your insight and your honesty. He's done it all. The Hall of Famer. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick24Barry. Rick Barry, we really appreciate your time today. Hey, I put, take care, guys. And good luck to you guys in the playoffs because my, my team is uh, going to have another tough year, I think. <laughs> That does it for episode 15, the Vince Carter edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts, would you? For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We're back next Wednesday. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Let's go Nets.